Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game, movies, TV shows, digital series, whatever else is adapted, I suppose. Our remit is ever-expanding in this crazy world. And ever more vague. (laughs) (laughs) Because today we're doing something pretty uh, interesting. It's one of our special episodes. We're not doing a a direct adaptation of a... Of a video game, we are doing today Alien Isolation, the digital series, and of course the Alien franchise in general. But what's what's prompted us to do the Alien series is the, is the imminent arrival of Alien Day, which I think is the twenty sixth of April. Yes, named after LV four twenty six, the planet in Alien. It's one of those uh, hashtags. 20th Century Fox tries to attempt to trend, uh, but doesn't really happen. Yeah, I, I think it's it started off as a fan-based mm. thing, and then 20th Century Fox picked up on it, and then for the past few years at least, I'm not really sure what's happening this year, but for the past few years they've done something special, whether it's released some extra special edition of an alien movie or some added short material or well, I mean, comics. Yeah, well, I remember the 30th anniversary of Alien, and that was a special director's cut of the film. It had mythic deleted scenes. In this, in this day and age of YouTube, um, there were scenes knowingly shot for Alien, which which, which had never been seen before. Those mm. were inserted... And it got a luxury DVD release of all the films. I think second only to the Lord of the Rings extended editions in terms of content on DVD extras. This year, the 40th anniversary of Alien, we have got some short films. Well, they've done a 4K remaster of theatrical release. I suppose. There's the short films, which are the sort of fan pictures. Which yeah. were turned into digital shorts, but I, I haven't watched any yet. I actually watched two of those. I mean, I sounded a bit dismissive. I watched two of, I think only two have been released so far of the Alien shorts. I watched them today in preparation for this podcast because uh, the Alien Isolation digital series is also a, it's a celebration of Alien 40th anniversary. But um, they're actually really good. I mean, they still felt slightly fil- fan filmy, but... The input of 20th Century Fox certainly helped. Do we say Disney now? Mm. <laughs> um, they are forced to show very little of the alien. In fact, actually, if, I don't want to do any spoilers for these shorts, but I, I can't think of any full shots of the aliens, which I think works to its favour. Mm. And because they're a short, they can uh, really wrap themselves around one idea and take it to its full. Whereas um, that's not always, always the case with uh, with movies. I think probably the most significant thing that's happened in terms of Alien 
franchise synergy this year has probably been the school production by North Bergen High School, New Jersey, which was a viral sensation, a school production version of the original Alien movie, which to which Sigourney Weaver and Ridley Scott have commented and chimed in and praised. Mm. It's, it was absolutely fantastic, actually. Yeah. I mentioned James Bond a lot of this podcast, but growing up, it was James Bond and it was Alien that I was obsessed with. And Highlander and Hellraiser and Dawn of the Dead and Ghostbusters and all the other stuff, like toxic male blokes like nowadays, apparently. <laughs> um, but I freaking loved Alien. They got this sort of mythic quality for me because my lovely mum <laughs> she said she saw the original film when it came out and it terrified her and she pretty much forbade me from seeing it so of course I became completely obsessed I would go over to friends houses and I'd watch them and yeah it was a pretty big deal when I was finally 18 and and old enough to watch them myself mm. I read so many of the comics for some reason Comics violence was okay. Comics horror was okay. And um, I think this has given me a good appreciation of how the Alien franchise can expand beyond uh, Ellen Ripley because she didn't feature too much in the comics. And so I mean, speaking of adaptations, this is what we're talking about today. What, by a curious, in a circular way, I think we are now doing, for this episode, a digital series based on the game which was based on a film. Yes, but we've done previous games based on film episodes where we looked at Spider-Man 2 and we looked at The Simpsons and we were looking at how they have interacted and crossed over between film and games. But this is something quite, I suppose, unique. For good or ill. Yes. But, yes, yeah, so there's been a, an adaptation... Uh, using elements of the game Alien Isolation, which is in of itself a direct sequel to the original Alien movie. And we're going to be discussing that a little bit later on. But I thought up top we should maybe talk a little bit more about our relationship with Alien and with Alien games. Hmm. So you mentioned that, you know, obviously you were fascinated with it. But when did you finally watch it for the first time? I remember recording it, um, I think ITV was doing um, a woman, a strong woman season because it was sponsored by a tampon company. It said, <laughs> Alien, by Lilettes. But gosh, I think it's one of those things where I'd heard about it from a friend and a lot of what my friend told me was total BS ultimately. It was back in the day where like, my friend would say his dad was the dungeon master of Nightmare, despite not looking anything like him. I remember him having an Aliens poster saying, this time it's war, and that intrigued me. But yeah, I think it was my parents telling me I just couldn't see it, and I ended up sneakily recording it. And um, I remember watching recording Alien 3 on the telly, and uh, always watching it with one eye on the door. I remember um, one, our other brother, or was it you, I can't remember, getting me to tidy my room... Um, <laughs> I think that might have been me. Yes, I think you 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 got me on April Fool's Day. <laughs> yeah. You got me to tidy my bedroom 
You said, Mummy and Daddy told you told me that if you tidy your bedroom, Harry, uh, you can watch Alien 3 on the telly tonight. And so I immediately made my room super duper tidy and it was an April Fool. You completely got me with that. I was yes. so angry. You only decided to check the TV guide after you had tidied your room. Yes. And it was a messy room. That's an incredible brain. That, yes. I mean, what a genius I was as a child. <laughs> yes. Evil genius, maybe. I think the things that made me first aware of Aliens as a franchise, I think, yes, I remember you talking about seeing it at friends' houses, and then obviously you got the Dark Horse comics and graphic novels and, I'm and still, all those I'm kind still of getting thing. those today. They, I mean, Alien 3 went through so many script iterations. One of them was written by uh, William Gibson, writer of Neuromancer, and they decided to adapt that into a comic. The Dark Horse has got the license again, and it's, it's pretty good so far. I'm, I'm most of the way through it, and you can tell it's a film script because no alien shot for like the first three issues. <laughs> but um, yeah, pretty good. But anyway, what but, are you saying? Speaking of that, I think it was Alien 3 and its release, which would have been 1992, I'm going to say. But that's when I remember just a lot of publicity around mm. it at the time. I think that might be my earliest memory as well, actually, come to think of it. Yeah, and I think I remember Sidorney Weaver being interviewed on TV AM and they were showing clips from the movie. Oh, and I thought, back to me, yeah. That was the closest I could get to Alien. And I think it's... Um, okay, so we're going to talk spoilers about all the Alien films, pretty much, mm. and Alien Isolation. Predator film or two, perhaps? Yeah, so just take that as uh, a warning now. But... Anyway, I think the clip they showed on TV AM was when uh, Brian Glover, I think, gets grabbed by the alien and pulled up into the ceiling. Mm. And I thought, whoa, that's amazing. But I think... He can jump really high. (laughs) With an assist. (laughs) Um, So I remember a lot of publicity for Alien 3. And I think probably it was actually, as is the case with a lot of things, it's the parody or the spoof that you see beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I remember in Spaceballs, you have the scene where John Hurt... Spoilers for Spaceballs. Spoilers for Spaceballs, and Alien by that token. Uh, John Hurt reprises the sequence where a chestburster comes out, but then emerges and grabs a, a hat, a boater hat and cane. S- sings, come on my baby, come on yeah. my honey, come on my ragtime gal. Yep. While high kicking down the bar. Yeah. Slightly disappointed when that doesn't happen in the actual Alien film, (laughs) if I'm honest. They lied to me. Spaceballs lied. I think the other main parody I remember was French and Saunders. Oh, yes. Just the incredible... Even though I hadn't seen the film, you could tell the attention to detail was amazing version of Aliens. And I always think Jennifer Saunders, whenever she plays, whether it's Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, or in this case Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. Just incredible. She gets the body language down. I remember scanning the Radio Times to see when that would be repeated, because Mm. it was as close as I was allowed to get to Aliens. I guess it's difficult not to be uh, aware of the Alien franchise, because they have influence so much as well. Just the the look of the world. Um, I think... The first film came out in 79, so that's only a couple of years after Star Wars. And Star Wars, obviously not created, but certainly pioneered the idea of a used future. And Alien was the film which took this to the an adult world. And it's really, really difficult to find 
any video game or hard sci-fi movie for that matter not set in sort of aliens world and i think also anyone who wants to make a sci-fi film on a budget oh yes will probably find much to see that they can just get old keyboards and monitors and just Mm -hmm. stick them together and you know add a few barrels in the background and bob's your uncle you've got yourself a pretty good alien set i do notice though when things are, are filmed obviously in a warehouse because why would you have a concrete floor in a spaceship <laughs> but um i myself i filmed a what was known as a swedish version of alien um swedish being like a lo-fi version of a big budget movie so um out on the internet i'm sure sure i'll share it on the socials at some point alien swedish which was filmed entirely in the basement of a whole foods market yeah it's effective though yeah I think that stage version is probably a bit better than our version, though. But we, we use the baguette as the as the chest burster. Yeah. A baguette with vampire teeth sticking at one end. What's good about Alien Isolation as a direct sequel to that is because it uses that same retro future aesthetic. And I think a lot of films have borrowed from Alien in terms of the look and style and feel of that lived-in sci-fi world. But seeing it realised today or at least when Alien Isolation came out in 2014, seeing that again, it makes you appreciate that even though it seems like a fairly basic idea of what the future would be, there's something very satisfying about that. It reminded me a little bit of how in Blade Runner 2049, it was the continuation of the Blade Runner which had existed in the 80s. Technology had progressed. The future of Blade Runner had continued without so much influence from the timeline that we actually exist in now, because... 2019 is the year that Blade Runner is set, and that's this year, so mm. what gives? I think it's it's worth noting that, I mean, when the first film came out, I don't think it was necessarily trying to produce a retro future, but, yeah, a bracing thing about Alien Isolation, a satisfying thing about the game Alien Isolation was was the sort of tactile quality, the live, the retro futuristic graphics and things. And uh... But talking about tactile qualities for things Mm -hmm. i think the other key childhood experience that we had with the alien franchise that we were lucky enough to go twice i think Mm -hmm. did we go once or twice but we definitely went twice to alien war at the london trocadero which was an immersive experience kind of like what you have with your escape rooms and those sort of things now yeah a little bit like a ghost house but it was an alien officially licensed i think around about time of the release of alien 3 for its opening experience where you were guided around the basement of a london shopping center off piccadilly circus but recreated to look like a space station yeah it was base it looks like the film aliens yeah and you had colonial marines which had a sort of American sounding accents uh, <laughs> guiding you families around strobe lighting darkened corridors but every so often you'd be told to wait here a moment and the marine would go off and then the, the motion tracker sound effect would start get closer and closer and closer and closer and then strobe lights an alien appears wooga 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 yeah <laughs> and then you'd run off see first time I went I was so small, I could barely see anything. I remember us going into an elevator and a facehugger 
pops down. Mm. And that's sort of about it. You had the lowest face, so you were safe. Yeah, I was well hidden by bigger people than me. 90s clothes and handbags. Yeah, and I remember we had to run across a gangway which had alien aids underneath, but we had to be very quiet as we did so. And I I don't imagine they did anything if we were very loud, but, you know, it was very atmospheric. Mm. But then second time, we were in a smaller group, and I could see everything. (laughs) (laughs) And... It was very upsetting because there's... How, this... how old were you then? I think I must have been, well, maybe eight or nine. What was wrong with our parents? I know. They didn't want you to watch the films, but they're quite happy for us to meet a real alien. Yeah, to live it. So there's this one bit where we're on an, an evac or an escape shuttle. We all had to put our seatbelts on. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it feels like we're moving. It feels like we're moving. And then nothing. And then from the corner... An alien emerges, everyone takes their seatbelts off, I can't get my seatbelt off because I'm panicking too much, and then my mum grabs me by the hand and unbuckles the seatbelt and drags me out, and the alien's chasing right after us. You remember this a lot better than I. And then there was some, you could tell it was an actor, but someone else joined our group because we're quite a small group. And then the Marine sent her in one direction and then an alien pounced on her. Mm, but, but you thought genuinely one of the... Genuinely one of the guests, one of the customers was now being eaten by an alien. Yeah. And yeah, we ran out and I was in floods of tears and I had a colonial Marine comfort me. <laughs> so if you're one of those people who reckon the alien movies weren't scary enough, then this is for you. A whole new experience is waiting in the heart of London's West End. And of course, there was only one person who could open Alien War. The star of the movie herself, Sigourney Weaver. Did you get a feeling of deja vu? No deja vu, but a lot of claustrophobia and, uh, and, and, and confusion and excitement. Now, Brian Glover, you've, you've been in Aliens. Superintendent I was and I'm a survivor. <laughs> but I mean, you've been in the real thing as well. How does it compare? Now, what's really interesting, I think, that adults probably be more frightened than kids because kids are so used to these Nintendo games, they get frightened in their own living rooms. I mean, this is quite nothing to them. Although my lad, he bet a lady wouldn't scream. He said, 50p, I will not scream like a girly. And he didn't. <laughs> Have you got your 50p yet, Gus? No, she only gave me 20. We actually did an immersive experience quite recently for Resident Evil 2, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that was fantastic. And the the bloodied uh, cops who had been bitten stayed in character, even when I bumped into them in the toilet. Yeah. And they said, I got a lot better. <laughs> it's like amazing. Yeah, so we were, yeah. And I think we recreated that at home, didn't we? We'd unscrew the light bulbs of the house replace them with disco lights, and I would creep around the shadows hissing at you and our, and our other brother Hamish uh, pretending to be Marines. We did a similar thing recently. We got tickets to a special preview of the DVD features for Alien Covenant held at Madame Tussauds in London. Yeah. Because they had a special Alien Covenant mini version of Alien War. Yeah, it was... A lot of alien waxworks, but because the marine was barking at you to go through as quickly as possible, I just ran past not looking at any of the waxworks. Yeah, it seemed very impressive, but it was very short. Mm. <laughs> but we and did get, get crucially to meet... free. Yes, and it was free, but we did get to meet Michael Waxbender. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, we sat, we went, then we went to the planetarium and looked at all the special features, and then the PR lady at the end just went, 
okay, that's it. And don't forget to buy Alien Covenant. <laughs> and I was like, I wanted a free coffee, actually. <laughs> should we just talk about, since talking talking of Alien Covenant, should we talk about the films themselves briefly? Yeah. What, you... what is an alien? Uh, <laughs> an alien is a xenomorph. It is a space bug designed by H.R. Giger. Mm-hmm. Giger. Giger. Yeah, so I think actually, you know, if you if you if you know cinema, you know the Alien films. Well, I guess we'll be talking a lot about the first Alien film because this is what Alien Isolation gets a lot of its influences from. But um, Aliens perhaps has the most video games based on it because James Cameron, um, who directed Aliens, decided to make it Vietnam in space, and it's about uh, heav- uh, the American military being completely decimated by um, a technologically inferior opponent. I mean, the thing is, is that they're called colonial marines and it's all about colonising planets. So, mm. you know, the the idea of an invading force as nasty as aliens, as the xenomorphs are, it's always going to be a commentary on that. And I think it sometimes gets a little bit lost in a Starship Troopers style fashion. There's a few things which repeat themselves in the Alien films. I think think what makes the first film so good and what makes other Alien films good is it's it's about exploring places that you shouldn't go. I think it's about having the role from being pulled out from under you. And certainly these Marines think nothing is going to challenge them and then they're proven wrong. (laughs) And um, in the first Alien film, they respond to a distress beacon and just things get from bad to worse. And I think it's about, no, no, there are things you cannot control. And also the messages don't help anyone. Don't help anyone, (laughs) never. You never know what they'll put inside you. So Aliens maybe more i think definitely more so in the games aliens has influenced so much from doom onwards sort of any any space shooter is basically aliens no, no matter what you're shooting at you got your metroids as well spoilers samus is a girl <laughs> i think it goes back on itself because as we mentioned in the resident evil episode resident evil the paul ws anderson movie is a take on the aliens mm. formula and then he would step up and do aliens versus predator himself later mm. on wow I, th- I don't think that's necessarily gone full circle has gone <laughs> full figure of eight the so alien three um i think it's got a, a new appreciation since it came out on the that glorious dvd box set because there's not a director's cut but there's a work print so occasionally the sound goes really bad because there's uh, there's no there's no ADR for those particular scenes. But um, I actually really enjoy Alien Three. Perhaps it's because I think it was the first Alien film I saw. Come to think of it, on video, I think it's just so unique to have such a depressing final act of a trilogy. Mm. It's absolutely about death, and I think perhaps where other Alien films fail lately as we go more and more into the series they're not really about anything but i think the first three definitely have thoughts other than a monster being on their mind i mean the the famously alien one is about it's about rape effectively the male fear of rape uh second one as i said vietnam space and the third one it's about death and sacrifice and um and redemption because it's on a prison planet and after Alien 3, we have... This is a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Alien Resurrection. 
And actually, what I've liked about these first four films is how they take it as a different director and a different style every time. And I thought that's how the series might continue. Uh, Alien Resurrection is certainly the, the least interesting one, but as a, as a comic book fan, as the fan of the Alien comics, I view it as very, very much in that wheelhouse. There's actually bits in Alien Resurrection lifted entirely from the comics. There's a bit where the aliens use their own acid blood to escape a cell, which happens in one of the comics I've read. So it has a market, markedly different tone from the other films, but I think it's kind of fun, but um, not super great. It's not essential. No. I think as the series have gone on, has gone on, though, it's lost one of the core things of what makes the alien scary in that, in that you're seeing too much of the alien. It seems silly to try and hide the alien now, but as I said earlier, those uh, short films I've seen managed to be very effective. So the, so the short films released on YouTube recently are very effective by um, not showing the alien at all. It's You just see a hint of something. And um, in Alien Resurrection and... I did in Alien vs. Predator and all those films, you you just see them too much. And they either they look CGI or rubbish, or they look like they very obviously look like a man in a suit. Of course, those are the main alien films, but they have cropped up in other other films, notably the Alien vs. Predator movies and there's Prometheus and Covenant. I don't know how much I want to talk about these, because I, I do feel they're just driving it into the ground now. I'll be there for an alien film, don't get me wrong, but I think it was telling in those Alien Covenant extras we watched that Ridley Scott seemed really disinterested in being... I mean, I think he literally said in one featurette, the best thing about Alien is that you don't know where they came from, and in this film, I'm going to tell you where they came from. (laughs) And it really irked me. I will just defend, in the mildest way... Prometheus and Alien Covenant because Prometheus is not a good movie but it's a very beautiful movie. Yeah. It's got very yeah, beautiful music, very impressive visual effects. Everyone in it is an idiot, but I always I don't I don't have issues with people being stupid in movies because people in real life are stupid. Yeah, but I think there's sort of repeat stupidity. Well, yeah, there is let's go down to an alien planet and stick our face in right. an alien's in, in, in nest. Aliens, yeah. The thing is, I quite liked Alien Covenant. And I, I think what you're saying about Ridley Scott not being interested. The thing is, is that I don't think he is interested in the alien. He's interested in androids. Mm. And you can sense that from Blade Runner. And you can sense that from particularly Prometheus and definitely Alien Covenant. And... I kind of appreciate the fact that like an 80-year-old director is returning to the franchise that made his name to begin with and then kind of trolls the audience by being more interested in having Michael Fassbender playing dual android roles in a weird gothic space Frankenstein movie than making an Alien Origins movie. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. I think what happened with Alien Covenant is what happened with um, the Star Wars prequel trilogy. I mean, we're now 20 years removed from the Phantom Menace. It's crazy to think that. And at the time it was vilified, but I think most Star Wars fans who hated on the prequel trilogy, and myself included, perhaps appreciate the Phantom Menace more because that was that was an unfettered vision 
And then what came later was more of a knee-jerk effect. So the Attack of the Clones has just got all the Jedi and all, all this, that, and the other. And an alien covenant is very much like, oh, there wasn't quite enough alien in Prometheus. Ridley Scott took the gauntlet and he said, okay, I will put more alien in my next alien film, but the main fight will be over a flute. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going back to what I was saying, I just, I feel, I like the alien films when it was a, a director with a vision for yeah. each one. And Ridley Scott is now treating the Alien franchise as his nest egg. And you are right. I've I've written like a note, uh, a list of um, things, the Alien series. What makes an Alien film? And there's like the company, the mistrusts of corporations, the isolation and no longer being at the top of the food chain. But I don't know why androids became a thing. It was a, it's a bit of a rug pull in the first Alien film because up until that point, up until like at the end of the second act, when one of the crew is revealed to be an alien, they've never an alien. When <laughs> one of the crew is revealed to be an android, androids have never been mentioned. You can bet your ass that if they made an alien film today, if we're making a film just like that, they will have a background advert saying "buy an android" or something just just to foreshadow it mm. but what i like in the first alien film it's a complete surprise and it feels like gravity has shifted a bit and i remember distinctly watching aliens and they play with the idea with whether or not that film's android is evil and so it's a surprise when um, it turns out that he's on the side of good but now every alien film needs an android in it apart from the one set in present day <laughs> um, I'm sure they'd work out some way to put an Ibo in there or something. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. Why is he... No one goes to an alien film to see androids. But I admired the fact that Ridley Scott made a film where he was just like, no, you don't know watch androids. And I give him a grudging respect for just mm. doing what, what the hell he likes. I guess he's sort of entitled to it, even if he's ruining lots of alien fans' lives. Yeah. But I, I, I have to say, fess up, in terms of long-awaited Ridley Scott-related, android-focused movie sequels that came out that year, I enjoyed Alien Covenant more than Blade Runner 2049. And I think I'm in the minority with that, but I'm okay with that. I'll give it another shot. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, so, Let's talk about video games. Yeah, I mean, so... The problem of adapting Alien into a video game, well, the Alien is both its uh, strongest point and its Achilles heel because the film establishes an alien is a whole heap of trouble and even the colonial marines are quickly overrun. So aliens are established to be just incredibly deadly. They're incredibly fast. Killing them releases their acid blood, which is incredibly deadly. And, and But there seems to be this real feeling in video game design that you can't have the same enemy over and over and over again. And they, they tackle this in different ways. In some of the um, early Alien games, like, um, I mean, I'm not going to name them all, unless you want to name them all. But no, there's, there's no. vastly too many. I think the first one was an Alien game in 1980. It looked like a lot of 1980s games in that it was basically Pac-Man, but with an alien. The way they get around samey enemies in, say, the Aliens arcade game, which was a scrolling 2D shooter, a bit like Contra, was having different coloured aliens, different uh, design aliens. They went proper, like, toys. In fact, I had an alien toy when I was a kid. I forgot that. You pressed the button and he exploded. Yeah, we also picked up a Queen alien action figure from a Blue Peter bring-in-by sale. 
for yeah. 50p. Yeah, that was pretty good. So that's pretty pretty good. Looked looked very good. I don't know why they make toys out of the alien films uh, aimed directly at kids. Um, but yeah, as they go on and the graphics get more impressive, they they sort of feel the need to stop making a creative and imaginative aliens, and they always sort of make androids the baddie. And so there's been multiple Alien vs. Predator games, and there's Alien vs. Predator by Sega, released in 2010 for the Xbox. And in the you play it as an alien or a predator or marine, and significant portions of these games are attacking androids, so who also just carry guns. They're just sol- soldiers. And I was like, why, why am I... Why am I playing this alien game and not killing any aliens? It's ridiculous, I tells you. Yeah, I guess to pad out things, you do need different kinds of cannon fodder because, yeah, if it was just aliens all the time, they're probably quite hard to animate. Mm. <laughs> or just it's it's harder to... I mean, yeah, as you say, they're destructive killing machines, so you do need to put something in... You know, slightly more killable. Yeah, slightly more easy to, to grade it. I mean, it's interesting how there's been quite a few alien versus predator games where you have played as either alien or predator or marine which is something different you don't really get to play a game where you're an alien monster Mm. killing grunts effectively my favorite bit of that sega game and in the earlier alien versus predator games were playing the alien because you could stick to ceilings and things and um and it's just unusual to have a game Mm. where you have that approach or even just the control method is different to just shoot at thing yeah i mean it was very easy to become disorientated because you're going around samey corridors sometimes upside down (laughs) but it was pretty good i always found the predator aspects a little bit more boring in the games and you know alien vs predator originally started in in the graphic novels and that was definitely one of my treasures as a kid is the alien vs predator graphic novel and they're both owned by 20th century fox but they keep trying to make good Predator films and not really getting there. The The last one by Shane Black, surprisingly, was atrocious. Okay, I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, do you care at all for spoilers? Yes. Okay. Well, in the loosest possible way, and this, ne- this is an anti-feature of the film, so a, a potential deleted bit absolutely locked the Predator films into the Alien series again, which doesn't show up in the film. But I'm not a guy who's so beholden to canon, but it would monstrously break canon if they included this bit. I um, think Ridley Scott has played around with Alien oh, canon yeah. so much anyway. It, who cares anymore? thing is, I think canon is the worst thing that's ever happened to any franchise yeah, or fandom. And I think just... I think the way you can see Alien Resurrection as you do is like, oh, it's just like a Dark Horse Comet spin-off yeah. novel with the same characters, but you don't have to be, oh, but this happened to Ripley, so mm. it's in the timeline of the character. Who cares? I do just imagine a world where the Alien and the Predator films, well, never intertwined, because I feel always felt the Alien films were a bit classier than the Predator films. Yeah. Now, I love Predator, and Predator 2 has got a special place in my heart. Predator isn't so bad. Yeah. But uh, they are very much popcorn flicks, those ones. And the Alien films always you know, were more like gothic horror movies or, I uh, say, they have something to say. But if it weren't for Alien vs. Predator, then we wouldn't have arguably one of the best of the Alien games, which is the Alien vs. Predator side-scrolling beat-em-up. Oh my god, that's so good. There was an earlier Aliens sort of side-scroller developed by Konami... 
1990. But the Aliens vs. Predator game, which was uh, developed by Capcom, the arcade game, uh, that came out in 1994. But uh, I did play it a couple of years ago, and it really still stands up as one of the top-tier side-scrolling beat-em-ups of the time. Yeah, I remember loving this as a kid, but... I was really worried that it wouldn't hold up, but I just happened to stumble on it at at a pub or is it a bar called Loading, where where you do game a disco, and it really holds up. It was a scrolling shooter slash beat 'em up. You got to play as either two predators or an Arnold Schwarzenegger clone or a, a sort of lady with a pistol and a sword and. There was just so many special moves you could do. It wasn't just punch, punch, kick, kick. There was so many things you can do. So I definitely recommend uh, seeking that one out. I think the one Alien game that I've probably played the most, though, was the Super Nintendo adaptation of Alien 3, which, as a side-scrolling Metroid-style shooter game with missions, completely throughout the... The central conceit of Alien 3, and that was no guns in Alien 3. Yeah, whereas this was all guns. There's actually, it wasn't just in the SNES, though, it was an Alien 3 game for Game Boy and, and NES, and they all went down the shooty route. Yeah, and well, there was Alien 3, the gun, oh, yeah. which was the arcade game, which literally put as its title the one thing that isn't in the film Alien 3. It should have been just called Alien 3, the hair. Because <laughs> they've got no hair in that film. Yeah. Yeah, but that was really a good game. And really, despite the fact that you have aliens all over the screen all the time, still managed to be atmospheric and tricky and scary. Gave you that sense of panic, which happens all the time. I think I'm viewing it with slightly rose-tinted glasses because I think when I last played it, I had by then played a lot of Metroid and I was missing the more sort of exploratory aspects because in Alien 3 you have all your weapons right at the start and so nothing really gets unlocked and also you you, you spend a lot of the game on your knees because there's a lot of face huggers uh, which you have to shoot at knee level but yes on the whole though I agree it was it it holds a very special place in my heart not least because on the game over screen you have Bill Paxton go game over man which doesn't happen in Alien 3 believe it or not (laughs) Destroy every egg-laying, chest-bursting, acid-spitting alien on the planet, or this nightmare will never end. Alien 3 on Super NES from LJN. Any other key alien titles that uh, you want to mention? Well, there's been a sequel to Alien Isolation, which has only just come out. Again, this this, this boils down to the celebration for the Alien's 40th anniversary. The uh, alien... Instagram account which I follow started to cryptically drop hints that something big was coming and it was a mobile game <laughs> and you know having recently uh, been to uh, like a, a, an indie game show which we'll talk about at the end of the episode I, I've been downloading loads of amazing mobile games so don't get me wrong I love those but uh, the fan community was getting very excited about some form of new alien story and i think they're ever so slightly disappointed that it was the alien isolation graphics redressed into a a five pound game which though it does continue the story so in its place i bought alien versus pinball 
which was a lot of fun. It's meant to be pretty good. It had all the sound effects and everything. That's yeah. all you want from a pinball machine. Well, speaking of fan backlash, mm-hmm. before Alien Isolation, the most notable Aliens game was Aliens Colonial Marines. Oh, yes. The, the failings of that game are legend, but I think it did have a very tumultuous development. And it was developed by... Uh, Gearbox originally, and I think they had to outsource to lots of other companies, but Gearbox, they uh, did sort of Half-Life expansion packs and ports, and they also did Borderlands. I think they also salvaged Duke Nukem Forever, which didn't get great reviews, but at least they finished it and put it out. But I will say, they did a really good Game Boy... I think it was a DS game, Alien... uh, Aliens Infestation. Infestation. Which was as near as I got to Alien 3 in about a full decade. And that was Mm. really good. Yeah, so all kinds of development issues. But basically, it seems like it was released in a fairly unfinished state. In fact, one modder managed to actually fix a problem with the game after its release. Because they looked in the code and they found that someone had spelt the word tether wrong. They'd spelt it T-E-A-T-H-E-R rather than T-E-T-H-E-R. So that resulted in the AI of the aliens not being tethered to their zone correctly. Mm. So it sounds like they would just wander off, (laughs) you know, just go and do their own thing rather than actually stay in the area where they're meant to be and and attack the player. It's a perfect biological weapon. It just doesn't know where it's going or what it's doing. bit like me. Um, (laughs) But the backlash against it was so bad that some people uh, even filed a lawsuit against the makers because of the notable downgrade of graphics between when it was originally shown at game shows and demos Mm. and when it was finally released. So I think that lawsuit was chucked out. But it just goes to show the level of anger that some people had towards what is, yeah, probably a shitty game. But does it really warrant, as we know... Video gamers, react, video gamers' reaction to things they don't like is, is always measured and responsible. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, some other key titles I just want to flag up. One of the earlier games that was, was made was Aliens, Alien 2, which came out in 87 on the MSX, but it was a Japan-only title. But that's interesting because it was developed and published by Square, Mm. Um, most famous for Final Fantasy, and as such, the actual music was composed by Nobuo Uematsu, who mm. composed the music for the Final Fantasy games. So that's just an interesting... Did you do a, a turn-based alien RPG? There's been so yeah. many versions, I'm sure, that... I know there's been like a Predator strategy game or something called Blood Wars. Uh-huh, or yeah. Some such. I mean, I think there are some st- stuff like that. At this point, as I think you, you probably can guess, it's difficult to think of a genre which hasn't had aliens in it. I can think of maybe a puzzle game. I mean, you just... I'm sure there must be some mobile like puzzle... alien mitts and match yeah, or yeah, something. Like, like Puzzle Fighter, but it's like alien eggs and face huggers. I mean, you were talking about alien versus pinball, so mm. it can mm. be applied to applied to anything. Yeah, I mean, mostly it's usually used towards a shooting game. So you have first-person shooters like Alien Trilogy on the PlayStation, which mm. was quite fun there was an alien resurrection game i, I got think, that as well. it was pretty difficult to play even even like a year after I, I can't i didn't play it so long after its release but i think it was pushing the playstation as hard as it possibly could and and it kind of showed but then you even have like aliens just appearing in games they're not either meant to be like mortal Kombat x where oh yeah you have 
alien and predator characters and a beat-em-up style setting so yeah that was actually on the other side of the room of the place i was playing alien versus predator and it was a uh, kind of amazing to see how the graphics had changed in a, in a roundabout way though we're getting back to alien isolation because very crucially this was taking its influence from the first film which i think everyone found as a, as a very fresh idea it's how do you make it work? Most video games is, is wave after wave of enemies to kill, but this was proposing just one alien, and you were having to hide it, not kill it. And Hide from it. <laughs> yeah, hide that alien. <laughs> Don't worry, Shh, I'll come and find you later. Boop. Imagine a massively multiplayer a game version of sardines. <laughs> and, uh, that, and you're, you're Hide and there. seek online. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just sat there for hours. Well, a lot of Alien games, as we've established, are very much of the shooty-shooty variety. But the idea of taking an Alien game going back to the original film, which isn't very shooty-shooty, it's more what's happening... Runny-runny. ...crawling around, running, and maybe flaming an alien once in a while. There's a cat in it. Yeah, and being afraid of cats. Yeah, how do you turn that into a game that will sustain the player's interest? And also, you wouldn't just have to be an alien fan to be excited. It was also survivor horror fans, because at that time, Resident Evil was pretty much an action game, and I think high-budget survival horror was very thin on the ground. I mean, you had things like Amnesia and Outlast and those sort of smaller indie titles. I thought you were just talking about Amnesia in general. (laughs) I have Amnesia. Wait, what did I say? You said... I forget. No, wait, what are we talking about? Um, We're making light of memory loss. (laughs) Yeah, so you had these kind of, I'd say, pure survival horror experiences. But this was very much, you know, using an established franchise, particularly after the debacle of Aliens Colonial Marines. You, You wondered whether people still wanted to play an Aliens game anymore, but this was... Still published again by Sega, but they had the Creative Assembly uh, developing it, who were probably better known at the time for making the Total War games. So, you know, as we were saying, real-time strategy, historical Mm -hmm. period games. So it did seem like an unknown quantity, but I think I remember from the get-go, it generated a lot of interest because people saw how not only did it replicate the original film but also how stripped back the horror experience was. And it was also one of the first games, I think, to come out for the new this current generation. It kind of straddled generations. Mm. I got the Xbox 360 version, and I think I got a slight visual downgrade, but still looks pretty pretty good. You've you've played it, I've played it. I the the big selling point, I guess, and as well as it being a survival horror, which is not exactly a popular genre at the moment it is also very difficult i think it's recommended to be played in hard mode anyway at time of recording i have been stuck at this one point for maybe two years yeah well it came out 2014 Mm. so you're maybe one and a half then (laughs) i I only can really play it when my wife's out of the house because i wear it with headphones and i shriek so she can be just looking at a phone just reading a book or something, and then I'll let out a blood-curdling scream, and uh, that's that's just not very good on the old heart. So (laughs) I will return to it, but maybe in easy mode. 
Yeah, well, I've only played a demo of it before release at EGX a few years back. So maybe I didn't get the sort of full-on experience that to appreciate it most in a sort of dark room with headphones. I mean, I did have headphones on at the time. It was in a darkened space, but it was still in the NEC in Birmingham. No, yeah. no, it was still in Earl's Court, London. Yeah, and there was like a man behind you probably breathing heavily, waiting to get on. <laughs> they did have people dressed up as Marines, so at least some sort of atmosphere was there to try and capture the James. And all I remember was crawling around staring at a box for five minutes, not trying not to get caught. And that, then, this was at, in the game, not EGX. Yeah, yeah. And then a tail poking through my chest and me dying. Nice. So I thought you'd actually played the whole thing. No, oh. no. Right. So I I do really like this game, though. Even though I've not completed it, it absolutely captures the tone of the the film. I mean, the very name Isolation is one of my uh, is in my list of core principles of the Alien films. Is that you feel completely isolated? You're either in deep space or in a distant planet, and there's something in the shadows you can't see it. It can see you. It's, it's that that ter- terrible thing. And one thing the game does really well is is, is that you're it's first person, and you are crawling around, hiding under tables, trying to avoid trying not to be in the eyesight of the alien and consequently it means you rarely get a good clear look at the alien because at any moment it could turn around look at you and you're dead and the save points are spaced out quite far so there's real there can be real um consequences to you being being caught by the alien and the alien is one hit kill for you if he gets you you're dead but also you have access to a motion tracker. Um, although there's a very basic motion tracker in the Alien film, this one does seem to be based upon the Aliens uh, film. So there's a that is the one, I think, concession to the Aliens movie, which came later. Well, I guess we should probably say, you know, the reason for that is that even though it is a sequel to the original Alien film, it's also set sometime afterwards. So maybe they have developed slightly advanced motion tracker technology in Mm. that period. Now, we talked a bit about canon not being so important, but crucially, the character you play in Alien Isolation is a daughter who pretty much exists in canon. In the director's cut of Aliens, which happens to be, I think, one of the better directors cut out there. First, only one of the first I remember encountering where it's like it seemed like there seemed to be a legitimate reason for its existence. We are introduced to uh, Ripley, Ripley's daughter, Scorny Weaver's character, Ellen Ripley, discovers at the start of the film that she's been in hypersleep so long that her daughter, Amanda Ripley, has grown old and passed away. And later on, she meets the character Newt, and there's definitely, they definitely layer on the whole mother-daughter thing. So in any other universe just creating oh a Ripley daughter Ripley 2 would seem just like oh a video gamey way to get to have the same story told again but by having this character in the film in the in the game she feels like a real character and I I actually really am interested in the continuing adventures of Amanda Ripley and um she's in this blackout game I think she's also appeared in a Dark Horse comic series well there was a press release at the time of Alien Blackout from Foxnet Games Studios saying that they promised new adventures with Amanda Ripley 
mentioning watching, playing and reading her story as she renews her fight against the aliens after the events of Isolation. So in what form that will take, I guess, remains to be seen. I think the one flaw of all this extra alien media, like these short films and things like that, what made the first Alien film and its sequel, I suppose, feel so powerful is that it seems that the the alien is a sort of a resource which needs to be discovered by the company because it's so hard to find and then be used as like a weapon of war. Um, if everyone and their mother is encountering an alien, it does make their... It does seem to be less of a surprise when they encounter them. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess that's the one that's the one concession you kind of have to make if you want more alien content. Well, you know, there's a whole planet of eggs out there, so... Planet of the eggs. Planet of the eggs. Well, it is Easter. It is Easter. That's another Easter. reason why we're doing this episode. Yeah, Easter is approaching, so we thought, what franchise could we possibly do, which is very heavily egg-related, but they haven't made a Billy Hatcher and the giant egg movie, so... Not yet. Yeah. So, as this is a digital series, we don't have a DVD box, really, unless this ever gets released on DVD. (laughs) So, what have we got instead? Well, there's a press release at the time of the release of Alien Isolation, the game, but as the digital series is effectively a retelling of the game, Mm -hmm. I think it applies. So, I'll just read that to set things up. Fifteen years have passed since the deep space freighter Nostromo disappeared with all hands. And for fifteen years, Amanda Ripley has scoured the known universe for information about her mother, Ellen Ripley, the Nostromo's warrant officer. When representatives from the Wayland yutani Corporation approach Amanda with news that the Nostromo's flight recorder has finally been found and brought to the space station Sevastopol, Amanda joins the company's expedition to the remote outpost. But when Amanda reaches the station, she walks into a living nightmare. Sevastopol's inhabitants have been terrorised, hunted, and brought to the brink of annihilation. Now she and a band of unprepared, and perhaps untrustworthy, survivors will have to confront the same diabolical species that changed her mother's fate forever. It's like hereditary, as in the... As in conditions, not the film. No, she's not hereditary she's, in space. No, she's uh, inherited her mother's uh, uh, attraction to aliens. <laughs> it's funny about the wider universe of aliens. In Aliens, Bill Paxton's character says, is this a stand-up fight, sir, or another bug hunt? Which definitely implies there's many other species encountered in the alien worlds. That they've just blasted. That they've just blasted, yeah. still looking, aren't you? The Nostromo went missing 15 years ago. I want to know what happened. I think I found something. It's about your mother. We think we may have found her, Amanda. What the hell is going on here? Is there anywhere safe left on this station? There's something else here. A creature. A creature? You let it out? We had it locked down, and you let it out? Ripley, it's still on your tail. 
Alien then. <laughs> Do we start? Well, I think we should probably try and describe what Alien Isolation, the digital series, actually is. Yes. Because I think when it was first announced, we thought it was maybe a new animation based on the games. Yeah, I think I'm on the on the game. I want to I want to apologize for suggesting this because I think I was the one who suggested we watch this because certainly the trailer maybe I only watched the trailer once but it seemed to imply that this was something kind of new but I watched that trailer and then I actually watched like the first 30 seconds of the first episode just to make sure that it wasn't I don't know a cheap copy paste of the game graphics into the show and the opening is is very impressive the rest of the show isn't really that. So what this is, is seven episodes of about 10 minutes long, released by IGN, which is a pretty much a straight retelling of the game. And insofar that it actually uses cutscenes from the actual game. And because the actual game is first person... Um, any time where they felt they really needed not to be first person, they just sort of dump a video game, one of the video game characters in there, flapping their trap, like like literally like Bill and Ben the Flowerpot Men, <laughs> just going. Bah, 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 bah. I really, really had a problem with this, and uh, and again, I just want to apologise. <laughs> if not completely about merit, well, um, but. For something which was certainly advertised as part of the celebration of of Alien as a as an entity, what are they thinking? I really just don't know. I really don't understand what this is trying to be and who it is for. I thought you had played, I mean, Alien Isolation. And I watched the whole thing thinking, does this make any sense to someone who's not played Alien Isolation? Short answer, no. Mm. The, the actual series is this weird mix of some ori- original created content, but only a smattering, only a little. It is largely, yes, cutscenes from the game, whether that is FMV cutscene or using, using in-game cutscene or in-game graphics. And as you say, when it sometimes it is in first person like the games, sometimes it is POV, and other times they just use backdrops created with first person and then dump green screen style a character model of mm. the characters in the game, particularly Amanda Ripley because she's the main character and as you're playing this, you don't see her as much. But you would think they would at least try and maybe animate the mouths. And I know when you're watching, because I've seen footage of the game now, I've seen cutscenes, in-game cutscenes, and yes, the animation jobs on the mouths isn't great when it's not a kind of FMV-style cutscene. That's fine, because you're playing a video game and you're not really paying attention to whether their mouths are moving in time with the dialogue. But when you're focused on that, and this is a short film... And you're meant to think these characters are saying those words. 
the fact that, you know, they can open their mouth and ten syllables come out and then they close their mouth and no movement has happened in between is very disconcerting. Mm. I actually started... I watched this last night, all seven episodes, and then I watched it... I started watching it again on the way to to your home where we're recording. To the to the studio. To, to the, the Games stu- on yes. Film studio. Exactly. That, Mega exactly. HQ. Did I say home? No, I meant studio. And actually, for some of it, I had the phone in my pocket and listened to it. And the voice acting is really good. And it worked really well as an audio play. Not least because there's so much narration. Just to, to, just to do a lot of the legwork and exposition. That she's just narrating her story. Well, that's the thing. There's this, there's this wraparound, I guess. Mm. Which I don't know. I don't think is present in the games. But no. she's, each episode starts with her floating in space post a disaster. Amanda Ripley is in a spacesuit gravity style as in Sandra Bullock style. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's untethered and there's all this debris floating around and she is basically recounting what has happened Yeah. at the same time as she's doing this kind of distress signal. She's broadcasting her story and that stressed me out because if you're in this situation, you don't want to waste oxygen. She wastes a lot of oxygen. She didn't seem so concerned. I figured by the end of the series... Um, she says she's just going to wait here and see if she gets picked up. I'm assuming oxygen deprivation is not an issue. <laughs> Maybe she's got some sort of oxygen processing thing. Because, yeah, otherwise she is doing the worst thing you could possibly do in this situation. Yeah. I, I also have a problem with that whole film or TV show starts with some kind of chaotic event and... As we, how did this happen? How did this happen? Yeah. And it's just such a boring, cliche thing. It just means, oh, you're spending this whole time waiting for it to catch up with the rest of the film. And it, it offers no tension or... I don't know. I just like, why should I care? Well, it completely undermines the series because you know she's going to escape every situation because she, you know she got to this bit. You know, we'll try and be as positive as we can about this. As I say, it, I feel like it gets better... Partly because, A, the later scene, she's in a space suit and therefore you can't see her weird mouth. To maybe kind of explain what this is a bit more, mm-hmm. uh, there was an interview, as, as we said, that this series was hosted on IGN. And there's uh, an interview on the website uh, where they talk to Kinga Smith from the Reverse Engineering Studios and director Fabian Dubois from DV Group. And RES specialises in creating innovative content by using existing materials, while DV has plenty of experience adapting projects with the technical complexity this expansion on isolation needed. Since both companies' staffs consist of huge alien fans, this isolation project was a match made in heaven. So, just to give you an idea of what this actually is, a quote from Kinga Smith, We instantly focused on the cutscenes in the Alien Isolation video game, coupled with the hugely popular story of Amanda Ripley as the perfect opportunity to create something new for fans. We presented the idea for this first-of-its-kind project to Fox, who were instantly receptive. With the 40th anniversary of Alien approaching, they were especially interested in a project that was created by passionate fans. Fabien Dubois says, We knew that we would need to change the POV from first person, where the player is the character, to one where you are now watching Amanda Ripley navigate within the world. 
We then made storytelling choices based on the idea that we would be going deeper into Amanda Ripley's psychology, to discover her demons, her fears, her motivations. The final series is comprised of three types of scenes. Brand new scenes that are rendered from scratch, cinematics taken directly from the game, and first-person scenes from the game we reshot, edited, and inserted a CG model of Amanda Ripley. Viewers will get to enjoy an exciting narrative that doesn't repeat the Alien Isolation story, but completes it. That all sounds like a lot of lip service, which is ironic because we're complaining about flappy lips. (laughs) I think it shares exactly the same narrative. I mean, you, you checked with me before I watched it. Harry, do you mind the end of... Alien Isolation being spoiled, and I said, "Well, it's, it's been like two years or so. I think, I think, I don't mind it being spoiled." But it's so I, it's very much the exact same narrative, but the tone of the thing is really problematic because, as I mentioned, the game is good because you're taking, you're getting a glimpse of the alien. You you literally don't know where it's going to come from. And running will attract it. You have to like crouch and walk everywhere. But in this series, you frequently have the alien just right there, full frame in the screen, kind of photo bombing the frame. Um, it just seems to be strolling around, not really caring what's going on. I mean, that's the thing. They're taking in-game cinematics, in-game cutscenes, but they're just picking stuff which isn't scary or tense at all. Mm. And Amanda spends a lot of her time running around and like shouting down her radio mic at, at the other characters. And I think there's a few things which I think work okay in a game, but where they are translated directly into um, this experience, it seems really odd. So yes, she spends literally on a, on a, t- on a turn of a coin... Um, at one moment, she's like, oh, God, I'm under a table. There's an alien on top of the table. I hope it doesn't get me. She goes to the next room and starts shouting, I need to get this reactor started. Good grief. Is an alien like... Well, again, I'm thinking that, but she doesn't seem worried about it. It's just really odd. The problems don't just extend to how the footage of the game has been captured. I think there is definitely issues with... As much as the environment and design looks great because it's just using the in-game graphics, the character models do not look so great. They they didn't need to. But obviously they're front and centre here, so that's an issue. It's just really, it sucks the atmosphere out when there's tension building and then you cut to Amanda's face and she's like... My favourite bit was when I think there's a Marshall, Marshall waits later on and there's a sequence, I think in episode four where he sits up and his eyes haven't been rendered properly. <laughs> and like his eyes are kind of looking in a very strange direction. And then they seem to just glaze over, turn white, and he walks away. That's very strange. And you just think, why not just re-film that bit again in-game? Or, or I don't know. But I think the other issue is that it's just edited really badly. And I know you have this voiceover trying to paper over the cracks and make it seem coherent but it fails miserably on making the story have any sense but it also fails to have any kind of tension Mm. there's an there's i think the closest it gets to any sort of tension is in episode six where we have a tunnel sequence which is just like the original alien film and you're going through this tunnel and you've got a flamethrower or at least amanda has a flamethrower oh i had one watching it 
you just really like got sort of like mood. on the trigger finger, you know, with the mm. gas kind of going tss, yeah. waiting to strike. It replicates that s- sequence, and the strongest moments in this digital series are when it's POV because that's the view you have, the first person view you have in the game. First person views in survival horror games is an effective tool because there's nowhere you can not look at because everything is coming directly to your face. But Amanda's navigating this tunnel in first person view and Alien appears, you know, ah, just like the movie. <laughs> alien. Ah. Alien. Alien. Um, <laughs> Say that again. Alien. That's how it's known as now. <laughs> alien. In space, isolation. no one can hear you. Alien. Ah. She blasts the xenomorph with a flamethrower. It screeches, it disappears, and then it just cuts and moves on to another sequence. There's no... I don't know. Mm. Like the, the people who stitch this all together haven't understood the pacing. Yes. And the, I think that's the thing. If you're kind of just truncating cutscenes and narrative for a game which is largely spent you hiding in a locker or crouching behind a box and you remove all that from your digital series, what you're just getting is just like a data burst of exposition and then every now and then there's a moment where an alien attacks someone. Like like a telling a joke, a horror horror is 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 building to a punchline effectively, building mm. to a scare, building tension. You're right, an alien just suddenly popping up with, with no tension build up makes no sense. I mean, even in I can't think of too much off the top of my head, but even in, in the jump scares you get where something completely comes out of the blue. You wouldn't do that at the start of the film when nothing's really happened yet. You need, you need. It only really works as some sort of tension release. Story structure-wise, because this is a video game plot, which is by necessity very stop-starty, um, strewn along a, a TV series, the episodes kind of end and start at no real, with no real purpose. Like there's so much backing and forthing, toing and throwing. She keeps going to different. I couldn't tell whether she was on different parts of the station, different different parts of the ship, Mm -hmm. or where she was. They would sort of mention it as if you knew what was going on. There was only one point at the start where it sort of names the location in text in front of you. It says, like, the USS Sea Torrens or or something, one of the ships she's on. And then they drop that, and you don't know where she's at or what she's doing or who's still around or who's still alive. And... You have to have played the game to yeah. really get an idea of what's going on. That's... Otherwise, otherwise it just rushes through everything, and then you end up just not caring about the story at all in the mm. slightest. I mean, that is the, the literal problem, because having played the game, I was still a bit confused, and I didn't know if it was because I was misremembering things. But, blimey, if you've not played the game... I have no idea what you'd get out of this. And ipso facto, if you've played the game, you know the story, I feel, in a better format. So I think your fiance, I asked her what she thought about this because she watched it with you. She said it was a crime against all of humanity. <laughs> and what I really appreciated that she, she made it very clear it was all of humanity. Um, yeah. I wouldn't go that far. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's not great, this, I have to say. But um, I did appreciate... I, I got into it more towards the end. I suppose as the stakes were being raised, when we touched base with Ripley, 
her story in space ramps up as she she attempts to reach a beacon which she can uh, use to boost her signal and there's this really nice oh, nice addition to the canon because aliens are frequently depicted as operating fine in space mm. and um she floats with this debris field and there's actually aliens curled up in that debris and that was something nice and new and unique something i'd not seen before and just done effectively whereas anytime the alien was on the ship just stomping around it just we've gone from rip ridley scott's masterpiece where you saw the alien for a split second before it killed you to herman flipping monster really <laughs> So much of this is told through in a monologue and or narration from Amanda. You just wonder why don't they just overdub everything? And why did we have to see this in-game character model? Why didn't we just have everything in first person? It would have just been more successful, uh, kept in the tone of the games and less distracting. They, I mean, there's... Literally an, an hour and 30 minutes YouTube video, which is all the cutscenes, including both the FMV sequences and the first person stuff. I was um, scrolling through it. It seemed just to tell the story much better than this does. That's the thing. It's, it's, I could see the appeal of something like this mm. back I mean, when YouTube didn't exist. <laughs> I can see the appeal of. Oh, I haven't been able to play this game or, you know, I'm not able to play this game for whatever reason. I'd like to watch the story without actually having to play the game. I think I remember playing Shenmue and recording the cutscenes on a VHS so I could just watch the cinematics themselves at the time. This was all pre-YouTube. And I think I mentioned in an earlier episode how we used to videotape one corner of GoldenEye Deathmatch and make her own movies, her yeah. own action films. I think the term is, is it, is it machinima? Yeah, machinima. Well, that's the thing. So This is machinima. This is, this is machinima. Well. Yeah. This is officially sanctioned by 20th Century Fox machinima, but just without any kind of creativity or craft. In terms of like the origins of machinima, you could look back at, particularly stuff like Doom and Quake and people making, you know, those were some of the earlier first games where you could kind of record in-game footage and uh, share that with people and replay things. I guess one of the biggest uh, machinima series was Red vs. Blue, which was mm. made using Halo Combat Evolved, and that was one of the first, I don't know, sort of big mainstream ones. But South Park with its Mate Love Not Warcraft episodes and blizzard entertainment allowing them and creating characters for them through warcraft to create those sequences so there is past precedent even creative assembly with their rome total war that was used as the basis for the bbc series time commanders which was oh i think i remember history show where people had to recreate famous battles in history but they basically just use a version of total war it's like in order to replicate risk yeah yeah but that's the thing is like so machinima has a place so when i said that alien isolation of the digital series is unique it it's it's not in terms of creating you know in form it's not unique in form it's not unique it's just in terms of how it's being compiled i supposed and officially sanctioned and stitched together 
to try and retell the whole game story. But like you say, it's more effective to just watch a all cutscenes supercut YouTube video. Or just or, play the game. <laughs> yeah, but if you can't play the game, mm. you know, watch a Let's Play video and have other people take you through the game for you. I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently about difficulty in gaming mm. and whether games that offer assisted modes, whether that's an issue and a lot of hardcore gamers are sort of, oh, you know, if you want to get the most out of Dark Souls or something, you have to play it because you have to get good you know, because it's so hard and that's all part of it. And if you get rid of the difficulty setting, then you're not playing it properly. But then you grow up and you've got to do the shopping and things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> like, I mean, you know, and stuff like Assassin's Creed, they've done like history mode, like free roaming mode, where it's just here's this amazing world we've created, but we're going to remove all challenge and obstacles and you can just enjoy it for what it is. And that's a. I think that's a beautiful thing and it's it's banding the potential audience for your game so why not do it what i'm trying to say there's many different ways you can experience alien isolation without actually playing it but this is maybe the worst way mm. <laughs> you could possibly experience alien isolation i don't like to be very negative on this um but i do wonder what they were th- it must have been depressing to make because it was clearly not doing anything what it achieved because there's there's no fear factor it just wasn't in any way conveying the experience of the game or the franchise as a whole as i say the later episodes are better i feel there's one or two more scares there's a a cute miss a cute moment where um, amanda is putting on i mean i say amanda or ripley she keeps referring to herself as ripley that's an odd thing Particularly because she, she's obviously she's looking for her mother, mm. but she seems to not very much care about her. Because in her voiceover, she's talking about how, yeah, you know, my mum abandoned me. You know, she was working for the company. Company was more important. Work was more important than I looking after me. Never got that impression from Ripley. No, I mean, obviously she, uh, Amanda, obviously has her own view of her mother. I did notice though uh, later on in. In the series, she... I mean, the whole reason for her coming to the Sylvester Ball station is to find the flight recorder of the Nostromo. And on the flight recorder, she discovers the final recording of her mother, which is addressed to her. It says, to Amanda. But then her mother signs it off as Ripley. So she literally says to her daughter, Ripley, not mom. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I noticed that. Very strange. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, she actually returns to voice Ripley in some DLC for Alien Isolation because I've not got that far on the game. I don't know if she voiced that section in the game cutscene because I did wonder if there's sort of licensing issues about using her voice in a digital series because she's, she wouldn't have written that into a contract or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, deeply confusing because it's one of those weird things where so much happens but not a lot. Because I mean, it's they, they try and position objectives, game objectives, as story points. And I know that's kind of how it works in the game, but it just doesn't work in a narrative. In ep- episode... It's either episode three or episode four is basically telling the story of how the alien ended up on the station. And long story short, it's basically the film Alien, because they go down to the planet, they get a face hugger on them, they go to the ship, the alien escapes, blah de blah de blah. In the game it's a real thrill 
because you've been playing the game for hours on space station set and all of a sudden you the player in the first person as go is going around all the eggs and seeing the what we now know as an engineer in the ship it's amazing but oh you... so that that in that part of the series you're playing that character at that point yes so oh, a captain okay. recounts the tale and as a flashback you are playing the i guess the captain okay um so yeah as you as, as, as you could probably hear in Rory's voice that is a nice sudden shift in the setting and the story and you think oh my goodness i am i am in alien it's amazing that's cute but in the in the show in the digital series you're just watching a very badly done version of the film alien yeah it just seemed like oh here's a flashback mm. great but the idea that it's a flashback that you then can play sounds more appealing yeah sounds smart another thing i like and it's funny, it's ironic, considering how much I moaned about them earlier, but uh, one of my highlights in Alien Isolation, the game, is the androids. Because in the world of Alien Isolation, there are multiple corporations. There's the famous or infamous Wayland yutani who uh, Ripley's work for. But the station you you inhabit in Alien Isolation is actually by a company called, is it Siegson? Who, yeah. who are very much positioned as like the the runner up in the great corporation. So their androids look that much faker, and that works in both the game's favour in terms of design. But they are really creepy. They are like mannequins. They are like in Doctor Who, the Autons. We've mm. um, got like rubbery necks, and it's really fun to sort of interact with these less than human not more than human androids that we're used to and of course their designs are exactly the same in the um in the series though because each episode is 10 minutes because you spend less time with them it's again it's almost like the series has introduced a crazy robot plot right in the middle of it because all the all the robots are controlled by a central computer called apollo but it's just done in a rush in the series what was your impression when that all started happening i I couldn't work out, like, until they finally reach Apollo, and then it looks like, oh, it looks like Mother from the film. I was like, oh, so Apollo's the AI. Samuels, I didn't know, was an android until he (laughs) says, oh, by the way, I'm going to get into this CAT scan machine and try and integrate with the thing, because it's just like... So, yeah, just, just to interrupt, there is, yeah, this character called Samuels, I think it's mentioned early on in the game that he's an android, and they do drop a line early, like in the first episode, that he's an android, but oh. so, so casually. But yeah, you're right. It's the Apollo is dropped briefly, very casually. She just mentioned something about Apollo is controlling them. And that's a big story point in the game. You got an, you got an hour to chew it over as you're going to deactivate Apollo. But you're right. You just sort of in the in the game, sorry, in the series, you just sort of rocks up. Bonkers. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. I had to find Samuels, Taylor, station security, anyone who hadn't been killed, even one of Siegson's piece of shit androids. I need to get into comms control. It's urgent. That is a restricted area. It's an emergency. Don't you realize what's going on? Apollo has the situation in hand. Forget it. I'll find my own way in. 
This'll help. Let me pass. It's me, Hughes. Don't you recognize me? Listen to me. We've got to re-establish long-range communications. You're becoming hysterical. Get back! I'm warning you! Tut, tut. This is always me. But what did you make of Amanda as a character? Because you're with her the whole time in the series and you're playing as her the whole time in the game. Does she feel like a just carbon copy of Ellen Ripley or is she her own person? We are obviously pretty down on this as a as a concept, but I'd be very sad if Amanda Ripley didn't continue because I... I actually do really like her, and it might be the vocal performance. And people forget, people when people think of Ellen Ripley, they think of her as Sigourney Weaver, badass. But you do forget that she is just a... Well, she's the warrant officer, so she's just a bit of a pencil pusher on the ship. She becomes the slasher-style final girl, kind of by accident. You're certainly not following her as a main character throughout the film. She kind of adopts that towards the end. And so what I really liked about Amanda Ripley's in this show and in the game is that you're introduced to her as an engineer and she's she's just an average Joe apparently searching for uh, Ellen Ripley, her mother. It's really Samuel showing up from the company saying, we found the flight recorder. Would you want to do you want to come with? But yeah, in a nutshell, much like uh, Dead Space, who's uh, not only a massive alien clone, but the protagonist is your is the average Joe. I think both the main character in Dead Space and the main character in this, it makes sense they're an engineer because then they can do all the door opening, the hacking, the, the nuts and bolts stuff. It's just really refreshing to play as an unsexualized female character who's just really competent and has a lot of agency. I don't think she does much engineering in the series, though. Again, the, I mean, I guess I do remember reviews of Alien Isolation saying... You literally flip every switch on the entire space station. <laughs> um, and yeah, the gameplay is very much like, go here, flip that switch, go there, burn through this, go there. But that's a bit of her character which seems to be really missing from the series. Well, just on that in terms of critical response, the game itself was divisive at the time. Well received in general, well regarded in general, but interestingly enough, the fact that IGN is hosting this series caused a little bit of consternation from fans of the games because IGN notoriously gave the original Alien Isolation game 5.9 out of 10. Just average. Yes, they gave it a mediocre rating. And the original review, okay, so this came from uh, the release of the game, so October 2014. Uh, the original review, which gave it that store, 15,000 comments underneath the review. Wow. Still commenting on up to last week, mm-hmm. at least when I checked. And lots of fans blaming IGM for there not being a sequel to Alien Isolation. Because I guess they mm. assume that, oh, because it got a bad review in IGN, no one bought the game, and because no one bought the game, they're not going to do a sequel. 
Well, I bought it because I quite like the Alien films. Yeah, make up your own <laughs> dang mind. A lot of people commenting on this digital series saying, huh, huh, funny that IGN is uh, showing this uh, Alien Isolation digital series after giving it such a bad review. <laughs> it's a very good impression. That was the internet. The internet, <laughs> the voice of the internet. Well, you know, here's the thing. As you've you no doubt aware now, I'm a massive Alien fan. As in a fan of the Alien series in a massive way. I'm not a fan of giant aliens. I really like Alien Isolation, but I didn't complete it yet because it stopped being fun. So I'm not surprised there's not been a sequel if really hardcore Alien fans sort of just gave up on it a bit because it got too difficult. And I, you know, I actually really admire its difficultness. I really admire um, that. It doesn't hold your hand, and you know I do have the option of doing easy mode. I've not done that yet. So yeah, will you will you go after the digital series? Do you think you'll go back and well, try again? I I I think you know it's less the difficulty of the game now. It's more that I've since changed my password for Hotmail, <laughs> and because of gaming today, I can't just switch on the freaking console and start playing again. I know I need to devote a full 20 minutes, half hour to remembering my password or getting a new password and then updating my Xbox because I've not played it in like a year and a half. I think the main issue I have with that kind of thing is just picking up where I left off and remembering all the controls again. Oh yeah, there's a million one crouch controls. There's this great meme of uh, when you load up a game save file you haven't used in a while and there's just that sequence from Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, where it just zooms in on Gandalf and he says, I have no memory of this place. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's I certainly have attempted to start... I think the last time I probably tried to start Alien, I sort of um, heard the alien coming. I ran into a locker, closed it. The alien sniffed the locker and I booted open the door and went, Surprise! <laughs> yeah, so there's that as well. It wasn't IGN's fault. It's because they made a game that a lot of people didn't fancy completing, even though they're massive Alien fans. I guess the one thing this series, because it is the whole story, revealed to me is I was fully expecting the Alien Queen to show up in the end. Because from episode 6 onwards, Alien eggs start appearing. And who's laying these eggs? Now, crucially... The Alien Easter Bunny? Maybe. The crucially, the director's cut of Alien, the famous scene it inserted was a bit where the crew, who had been supposedly killed by the alien, had been captured and been t- and were being turned into eggs. So turned into eggs. Turned into eggs. So I thought they were just all stuck up on a wall. No, um, some they were stuck on the wall, but being metamorphosized into eggs. They, there was one of the crew had now almost completely turned into an egg, and the other, yeah, shut up. <laughs> and the other, <laughs> it looks scary. <laughs> no, um, the uh, the captain, he is uh, halfway there to becoming an egg. <laughs> His shell hasn't formed yet, so he's humpty, he's, but not dumped. He's not dumpty yet. He hasn't dumped. And yeah, it actually makes more sense than an alien queen when you think about it, because. <laughs> but, because that's what happens. Because it's a it's a completely circular reproductive system. The the problem with an alien queen is that you you need a queen and you need hosts and, and all that jazz. So um 
if one alien can create turn its victims into eggs and create more aliens, then I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just still stuck in this idea of being turned into an egg. Being turned into an egg in a horror film. You better run egg. <laughs> Gosh, the nightmare of it. It just makes an Easter egg hunt seem even more chilling. It's mm. just like you're finding all the children who got lost on the hunt last year. Oh, it's like <laughs> Planet of the Apes with a gathering them up and sort of on their horses and um, spearing chocolate eggs. But yeah, I was very surprised that all these eggs showed up and 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 no queen. But also, I really want to. Pl- I guess yes. In answer to your earlier question, I want to play the alien. Uh, isolation the game because in alien isolation the series amanda gets rid of the alien they or, or more accurately she gets blasted off into space with the alien and the alien goes into space she makes it back to the space station safety apart from the killer androids and then later on there's more aliens no yeah. explanation at all they're just more aliens. And I'm, I'm actually at this bit of the game and, uh, oh, where do, all the aliens are here. What's making these eggs? According to the series, at least, nothing. Unless people are being turned into eggs. Just some hot dang eggs. Yeah. I guess we need to just ask ourselves, is this, despite all this hate, and you know, we, are, we are a podcast that celebrates video game movies, what, what do we think of this? Because I, I would argue this isn't a video game movie. This isn't a series. I think it's been misadvertised. It's not. It is literally the lowest. And I feel bad for saying this because it sounds like it was made by fans and it probably was a lot of effort to do. But I feel like it's the most l- lowest effort thing they could possibly do. And I do wonder why they even bothered. It does seem like... These people wanted to do it, and Fox were like, yeah, sure, whatever, fine. It's a failed experiment. You know, maybe there's one day something like this could work, and I feel like there are close enough facsimiles, but like I said, you just watch a cutscene digest, or you just watch someone do a Let's Play or a walkthrough. There's other people doing this perfectly fine without any backing from the original games makers or franchise holders or anything and it just seems like a very pointless exercise for all involved and look if someone wants to do that in their own free time and make (laughs) make you know as long as it doesn't hurt anyone unless i don't have to sit down and watch it but you know how like topher grace keeps on re-editing star wars prequels Mm. anyone who wants to do that fine but hey like each to their own there was just no need for this, and I feel like... I, I, I do want to play Alien Isolation. This hasn't put me off playing a- Alien Isolation. In fact, it's made me want to play it more, because I just want to sort of see it done right in its original format. And I know that we talk a lot about this podcast, about what is the best way to tell the story. It's rarely in a cinema or film version, you know? The games are usually perfectly fine, and that's usually the best format for the tale to be told, but... We still do this podcast like fools. Yeah. There is there is a thrill about seeing translation, and I thought this is going to be a really interesting, a very unique concept, a a series based on the game, based on a film. But um, I mean, it just is a, is a mess because I'm I'm thinking I would have preferred to have seen this if they had like 
animated everything badly. What's really distracting is where, when it starts, it's actually quite good uh, CGI cutscene, which was made, I think, the, the floating in space section. That was good. But then we, because it'd been ages since I'd seen the first ever cutscene, it took me a moment to clock onto the fact that they were literally copying and pasting the cutscene. And then the format changed again, which was like the badly animated stuff. And it's that sort of inconsistency, which again is doubly confusing. I spent half the time trying to work out, is oh, is this specially animated? Is this a cutscene? I don't know. And I really wanted to message you uh, about this before this recording. I want, as halfway through it, I want to say, oh, Rory, I'm so sorry I recommended this. Despite this this wave of negativity, I apologise, listeners. Um, if you were to watch Alien the series, I probably would recommend the last two because two episodes because it's really incoherent up until the last two episodes. With again all these all these dead end missions she's going on, all this barely hinted at game lore which makes no sense when you try and connect it together but the last two episodes I felt had some genuinely unique moments um I'm, I recall there is a hey it's first person again and I believe this is from the game but there's a bit when the camera's looking out from inside um Amanda's helmet and you see three aliens gathered around you and you're and she's trying to escape that is a scary image. She feels completely trapped. But um, I would say play the game if you can first. If not, play, uh, watch the cutscene. And then I, if you can't do that, read it on Wikipedia and use your imagination. <laughs> but, but try to avoid spending 70 minutes of your life on this. Because there's, there's better things you could be doing. I feel Ridley Scott must be spinning in his hypersleep chamber um, <laughs> if he knew about this. I, I'm pretty sure he does not give a hoot. Um, I've talked a lot about my thoughts. Are you in the same ballpark? Do you have? Do you think you like it more or like it less? Are no, you... I, I, I'd say don't bother. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's, like I said, there's, there's other ways you can experience alien isolation than this. Oh, we like Amanda Ripley. We don't yeah, want her but to she's go quietly in, into the night. Yeah, but she's in... You can see her have her alien isolation experience in plenty mm-hmm. of other different formats. With alien Blackout? Having not played it, I have no real judgment on it. But I'm hoping that this doesn't mean Amanda Ripley's going to be abandoned. The The series ends with her being rescued. And so uh, Black Alien Blackout is, is definitely a sequel. And of course... Disney now owns Fox and they I think this week have been saying they definitely want more aliens films which I don't know some half of me feels like they should just leave it alone now but another part of me loves those alien movies so maybe we'll get some good alien content down the line Mm, we're here for the content content (laughs) alien content is the next film yeah (laughs) So um, that is the 40th anniversary of Aliens dealt with. But there's another anniversary coming up-ish. We are Barely. Barely. <laughs> and we have just recently celebrated our first anniversary, but we are almost about to do our 30th episode. Is that right? Yes. So our next episode of Games on Film is actually 
a pretty special episode. It is our first ever live episode, and this episode was recorded earlier in April 2019, that's this month, at EGX Resd in London, which is a games show uh, showcasing lots of new indie games. London is a city in England? Yes, We presented a panel which was all about games we would like to see adapted into film. You'll be able to hear our thoughts and the thoughts of our audience um, in the next episode. So in the meantime, you can find us online on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. You can also find it through tinyurl.com slash gofpod. We're on all the major social media channels, facebook.com slash gamesonfilmpod, twitter.com slash gamesonfilmpod, instagram at gamesonfilmpod, email us gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, all episodes soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod. I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. Where are you on Twitter at? That was really creepy. <laughs> it's like, are you an android? What are you on Twitter at? What, what, at Twitter at what, uh, what, what? The answer to your question is... I'm at Only Man Who Can on Twitter. And the music for this episode and all episodes was composed by David Lightfoot. You can support Games on Film. Go to our website. There's links to our Amazon wishlist where you can buy us movies and we will watch them and talk about them on a future episode. Or you can donate to the show by tipping us through our coffee account. That's ko-fi.com slash Games on Film. It's either Games on Film or Games on Film Pod. Or GOF Pod. You'll find the link on the website. Just go to the website. Go to the website, guys. Harry, do you have anything to plug? Uh, I do a bit of stand-up comedy, so just search for Harry Steele Comedian. And if you want to also add something into your search bar, then why not search for Gamer Disco? And we do video game and music club nights and events in and around London. So check us out. So this is Harry. This is Rory. Last survivors of the Games on Film podcast, signing off. Mm-hmm.